0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our Real Talk um, series with a message entitled, Righteousness Revealed, Matthew chapter 5. You ever notice that uh, in our society, we've kind of turned and we like that big reveal kind of stuff. Uh, you see it sometimes on uh, talk television where they'll bring somebody in, whether it's a man or a woman, want to be an equal opportunity person here. And uh, they look as frumpy as you possibly could look. And then they send them off for a while and they get makeup done, they get their hair done, they get new clothes. And, and, and at the end of the program, they, they build this thing big up, up for, the, for the big reveal. And the person comes out and they look like a new man or a new woman. Um, more recently, in the last couple of years, you you have um, when couples are gonna have a baby and they're gonna have the big reveal and they have a reveal party. Is it gonna be a boy? Is it gonna be a girl? And you invite your closest friends over to your house and you have a big cake and you cut into it and maybe the cake's pink inside because it's gonna be a girl or blue inside because it's gonna be a boy or or maybe you open a big box as a gift and, and pink balloons fly out or blue balloons fly out and we're about big reveals uh, there's a TV program on uh, that you've, many of you have watched called Extreme Home Makeover, a family that's been destitute or hurt or whatever they've gone through, and, and the community's going to come around and they're going to they're rebuild their home. They're gonna, usually they tear it down and, and they rebuild it, and, and then they come back after being in Disney for a week or wherever they've been, and, and they drive in in a limo, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people who've been involved in this. How many of you have seen that on television? because you're going to help me with this in just a moment. So, and so they, they get there, and the limo the pulls in behind the bus, so they can't see what's been done. And, and then they get out, and they talk for a minute about their situation. And, and then they, they all say this, Bus driver. Move that bus. Right, right. And the bus pulls in very good. You did way better than last night, i got to tell you that. <laughs> Move that bus. And the bus pulls out of the way. The big reveal happens, and everybody cries, and it's amazing, right? We're all about those kind of things. Well, this text, this text has the biggest reveal in history. The biggest reveal in history. And the Lord gives it to us. Um, he's going to say some things today that are going to rock their world. Going to turn what they believed on its head. And we find it in Matthew chapter 5. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And... Uh, Starting at verse 17, here's what it says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever lacks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the teaching in this Sermon on the Mount. And Father, what he comes to today is, is amazing. And Father, we must never forget it. We'll remember at the end of this service in communion what the Lord has accomplished as a picture of what he's done even in this message. So Lord, would you give us ears to hear your word today? Would you give us minds to understand it? Would you give us hearts, God, to live appropriately, passionately because of what our Savior Jesus Christ has accomplished? And God, we'll be careful to praise you. So do your work in your way for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, thank you. You can take your seats. Well, as we know, the Lord Jesus um, was out and preaching and teaching and uh, lots of people were following him. And, and so he goes up onto the mountain and uh, he's going to do some teaching. And the Bible says that he sat down. And he sat down to teach them. And the first thing we saw, he sat down and he taught them what we call the Beatitudes. Um, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. There's just a whole bunch of things that, that should be the character of a Christ follower, of one who calls himself a disciple. Everybody who was there that day, everyone who heard him uh, wasn't a believer. Some walked away from him. Judas was there. But they all had opportunity to hear. And then he goes on and he talks about us being salt and us being light. And they weren't optional things. He didn't say, go for this. He says, "As as a disciple, this is what we are. We are salt and we are light Well, then he comes to the text today and uh, things change because now he doesn't, for the first part of this, he doesn't talk about them anymore. He changes it. Now he's talking about himself and who he is and and what he's come to do. He's about to drop a major truth bomb on them that they were gonna have to work their way through. And even at the end of it, when he calls them to righteousness, he, he doesn't exactly tell them how to get there. The good news for us is we know the rest of the story. And, uh, and so that's what's happening in this text. The, the Lord changes the focus from them to himself, and we see it in verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We're going to take a look at the reality that the law has its limits. All of the things that they were trusting in, it had its limits, there are only certain things that it would accomplish, and it wouldn't accomplish everything that was needed to be, uh, that needed to be accomplished. It says in that verse, I have not come to abolish the law. Uh, Jesus Christ didn't come to destroy the law. Uh, he didn't come for the purpose of being an, an opponent to the law. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to complete the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, Christ fulfilled the demands of the law, which called for perfect obedience if we were to meet its requirements. And everyone knew they couldn't perfectly do it, so no matter what you did, you knew somehow you had failed, and every you had to go back and do the sacrifices over and over again, and, and the lamb would be slaughtered every year and because they couldn't perfectly fulfill it. And Jesus is coming to say, I didn't come to destroy all of that, I came to fulfill it. Some things we need to know about the law. The first one is the law is important. It is important. God gave the law to reveal his standard of absolute righteousness, to convict us of all our true guilt before him so that we would seek after and realize the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The law is important. Now that Christ has come, we don't take everything from uh, Malachi back to the beginning in Genesis and go, I guess you don't need that anymore. The Lord Jesus fulfilled all of that. That's of no importance to us anymore. That's, that's not true. The Old Testament is still important to us. There's still very much for us to learn, there's very much for us to grow in. And so don't undo and close your Old Testament and think there's nothing to learn from it. The Old Testament is important. As a matter of fact, Jesus uh, goes on in this text in the Matthew chapter five and in verse 19, and he says this, um, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Old Testament is important. Understanding the laws is important. They point to something greater uh, that would come. The law and the prophets is to be understood. The law and the prophets is to be respected. It's good for teaching and remembering. We we learn from the Old Testament, all of those verses that point to the birth of Jesus Christ. We learn through studying Leviticus just how desperate we are and how there is no hope, and, and, and all of it is important. Now, it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we don't still do the sacrifice. Jesus Christ was the sacrifice once for all for us. But it's important. It's important for a number of reasons. One of the reasons it's important is that it shows the depravity or the sinfulness of man. The law shows the sinfulness of man. Uh, When you're playing a sport and you uh, go out and you fall and you crack your elbow and it's broken you know, because of the pain and the screaming that's coming out of you. And you go to the hospital and they set your arm out and they take an x-ray and, and, and they show you they see that. See, it's not supposed to be like that, right? So the x-ray demonstrates the fact that it's broken, but the x-ray doesn't fix your elbow. That's kind of like what the law did. The x-ray demonstrated how broken we are, but the, the, the law, the law in itself can't fix how broken we are. Um, Romans 3.10 and 11 tells us how broken we are. It's written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Romans 3.21 to 25 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by this grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation or the satisfaction of the wrath of God by his blood to be be received by faith." This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. The Old Testament demonstrates for us how sinful we are, how hopeless we are from the fall of Adam uh, through to the example of David and Noah and others, all through the Old Testament. It shows how, how desperate we are and how depraved we are. The Old Testament demonstrates the righteousness of God. That's the second thing. If it shows the depravity of man, it also demonstrates the righteousness of God. Um, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, and he said to them, this is Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, this is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two command commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. The Old Testament law, the Old Testament teaching, the Old Testament words, law and the prophets, all of it, shows the righteousness of God. It shows His character. It shows the reality that He can't turn away from sin. It shows the reality that there has to be a payment. The Ten Commandments elaborates on all of that, um, but it demonstrates. That God is holy and God is righteous. Here's a third thing. It shows grace and the mercy of God in his righteousness and judgment toward us by way of redemption. And so in the Old Testament, we have this glimpse of what is going to come. We have this this hope that's going to be there for us. And it's laid out for them so that they could um, believe and they could have hope. The people in the Old Testament came to a relationship with God in the same way you do. They came by faith. They came by faith. Um, they didn't have it all fulfilled for them. They didn't understand the end of it. God understood the perfect timeline and that Christ would come and fulfill all of those things. But the reality was that, that the law demonstrated grace and mercy and that there was hope. Here's the last one, the law makes us accountable before Him. The law makes us accountable. Um, In Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. We're all going to stand before God. And if you study in the Old Testament, you will see your sinfulness. If you study in the New Testament, you'll see your sinfulness. But the reality is we're all going to give an account. Um, In Philippians 2, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to give an account. So the law is important. The law is important. The law is also a picture. That's the second thing, the law is a picture. Um, You know, I was thinking about this in my office, just as John was the forerunner to prepare the way for Christ, in in a sense, the law was like that as it was a forerunner preparing the way for Christ. John was the one who went out into the wilderness and was was the one who was beholding and announcing that the Messiah has come, the one you've been waiting for has come. But, But the law, all of the Old Testament, was a precursor, it was a preparation for what would come in Jesus Christ. In uh, John 5, 39 and 46, it says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about me. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he, he wrote about me. And Jesus came to fulfill all that was written in the law and the prophets. And the prophets, I mean the promises of the Old Testament, they point towards Jesus Christ. Every part of the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ. Everything from the lists of the genealogies to all the, the things we see in the law, it's all, it's all a pointing towards what's coming. It's all pointing to who Jesus is, whether to demonstrate accuracy or truth or in direct, absolute prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all a picture it's a picture. In 2 Corinthians 1:20 it says for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Everything. It finds its answer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's a picture. It's a picture of the reality that the law was kept perfectly by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they take these animals and they would uh, take them and they would take the best that they had. You took the unblemished animal and that's what you would bring for the sacrifice. Uh, That was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who was the spotless lamb who came and lived without reproach, who lived without sin, who lived as the perfect sacrifice in Hebrews 10:1 it says, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every, every year, um, make perfect those who draw near. It, 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 it could not accomplish what the Lord Jesus Christ was about to accomplish. Now, you have to imagine this. Now, they're sitting there, and they're hearing this. And their hope is in being the best they can and living out the law the best that they can. And, and Jesus is saying, I, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And I say to you, it's easy for us because we have the rest of the story. But they'd be pulling their hair out They'd be shaking their heads. The religious leaders that might have been there who were learning, were, they're saying, he's blaspheming, he's, he's claiming to be something that he's not. The law was important. The law was a picture. The law is not enough. The law is not enough. In James 2.10 it says, forever who keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And so if you did 99.9% of it right and failed in just one little thing. (laughs) Guilty. No hope. Gone. That was the description of all of them. The law could cover your sin, but it couldn't take it away. It was only the finished work of Jesus Christ that could take away the sin of the world. Here's a few verses for you, you can jot these down. Romans 8 and verse three, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, how? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Galatians 2, 21, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Hebrews 10.4, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sin of the world. The law was important. The law was fulfilled in Christ, but the law wasn't enough. The Lord Jesus Christ had to come. He had to be the perfect sacrifice, and everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards him, and what he did for you and for me and what He accomplished on the cross, it was not enough. The second main point we want to see today is the work of Christ is the fulfillment. For I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will we'll pass from the law, until all is accomplished, until all is accomplished. And I'm arguing that there's still some of that that we'll see in the future, but the reality, most of what we see in the law was pointing towards the working of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ fulfills the law and the prophets, so all of the teaching of the Old Testament, the Lord is fulfilling that, he fulfills the doctrinal teaching as you study the Old Testament, you see that Christ is the fulfillment of that. Jesus fulfilled the predictive prophecies, and there are hundreds of them that point towards the Lord Jesus, the obvious ones in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah chapter 9 and other, other prophecies all throughout. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the predictive prophecies. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the moral and legal demands, the things that we couldn't fulfill. The Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled them. And Jesus Christ, here it is, Jesus Christ fulfilled the penalty of the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the penalty of the law. You couldn't. Your righteousness could not be put up to pay for your sin. But what Jesus Christ did fulfilled the penalty of the law. So Jesus is sitting there, and he's teaching them. And right in the middle of that, he says, truly, I say to you, Truly, I say to you, this is the beginning of a next whole section in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is going to say, You have heard it said, but I say to you. Now, Jesus is claiming something beyond just being a good teacher here. He's claiming to be the Messiah, He's claiming to be God. He's telling them what I am teaching you is the fulfillment of everything you've ever wondered about, you couldn't figure out on your own. Jesus Christ is. The fulfillment, and here's the third thing: personal righteousness is the product. Personal righteousness is the product. Look at uh, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness ex- exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what an amazing statement that! at this point, as I already said, is left unanswered for us. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them how you get this. He just says to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So imagine them, they're sitting there, and, and they think about the scribes, and they think about the Pharisees. They're sitting there hearing Jesus as he's teaching, and he's, and he's, and he's like, George, unless your righteousness passes out of the scribes and the Pharisees. Adam, unless your righteousness passes the scribes and the Pharisees. Doug, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. Ruth, unless your righteousness, and you're sitting there going, oh my word. Like those were the religious leaders. Those were the people they looked up to. Those were the ones who they saw as, as being close to God. And they'd have been left with We're done. What hope do we have? How can we ever get to where they even are? And you're telling us our righteousness has to surpass that. And they weren't going to get the answer to that in today. They weren't going to get the answer to that in the Sermon on the Mount, not at least in this part. That was going to come later on as the Lord would teach. That would come later on as they would understand what Christ has done. But We have it so good because we know the rest of the story. So let me tell you some things about righteousness. Here's the first thing, self-righteousness falls short. Self-righteousness always, 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 100% of the time falls short. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's a struggle we have. We always compare ourselves to what we see of people on the outside, and and that's what they would have looked at. They'd have been looking at the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, or at least the perceived righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, and they would say, we fall so short The dictionary definition of self-righteousness is confidence in one's own goodness or righteousness, especially when we're moralistic and intolerant of the opinions and behaviors of others. We become self-righteous. We think we are something. Self-righteousness is often, not always, but often tied to legalism. I've got my set of rules. This is the way good Christians should live. And um, what the Pharisees did was they had the law and they knew what it said, but they wanted to make sure they didn't do that. So they added layers on top to keep them as far away from it as they could so they would never break the law. But what they did in doing so is they became self-righteous and they became legalists. And we need to be careful in our own walker. What are the things that we have added that aren't the things that God is adding? Legalism is one of the reasons that people become self-righteous. But liberty can also be a way that people become self-righteous. I've got freedom in Christ. Christ saved me. I basically can do whatever I want now because Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And people go out and they've got freedom, quote, unquote, to do things that go beyond even what God's word says. Self-righteousness always falls short. Your righteousness will never allow you to stand before God. Not as a person who's been atoned for, not as a person who's been saved. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, Isaiah said this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf in, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away there is none righteous, not even one. I don't believe Paul was there that day to hear this teaching. Uh, He might have been. There's no list of who was there, but I don't believe he was there. I don't think he was around at that point. Um, But when you think about him, here's what he said about himself. um, In Philippians 3, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as as to righteousness, under the law, blameless, said. I had it all figured out. And so the people were watching people like that, and they were going, oh my goodness, we can never match this up. Paul thought he had the righteousness that was required. He thought by putting Christians to death or having them put to death and having Christians thrown into prison and trying to snuff out the gospel of Jesus Christ, he thought he was doing the work of God. He thought he was a righteous person. And he learned in Acts that on the road to Damascus that he wasn't. And that he was persecuting the one who was the Messiah. And his life was turned upside down, turned on his head. But he was a self-righteous person. And outside of Jesus Christ, every one of us were self-righteous. We think we're getting there. However we think we're getting there, we think we'll stand before God. However we think we're gonna stand before God based on who we are. That's called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness always, always falls short. Second thing, saving righteousness brings eternal life. Saving righteousness brings to us eternal life. A word the uh, theologians like to use is the word imputed, imputed righteousness. It's a concept in Christian theology that, that puts out there that, that the righteousness of Christ is imputed To us. It's not a theory. It's a Bible teaching, but the Word is a word that makes me sound more intelligent, I guess. Um, It means that in my salvation, the righteousness of Christ is put on me. See, somehow, I have to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I can't. I can't do that on my own. And so how can that happen? Well, that can happen when the righteousness of Christ is put on you. Just as sin through Adam was put on all mankind, Romans 5, 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So the imputation of Adam's sin is on all all of us, but the next thing is the imputation of the sins of all who trust Christ are placed on Jesus Christ. John 1 29 says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold the Lamb of God who what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of my sin is put on Jesus Christ. That's the imputation of sin. But here's the other side of that coin is the imputation of Christ's righteousness that's put on me. It's not just enough that my sin is put on Christ, but rather at the same time, Christ's righteousness is put on me. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Hey, good news, church. When you stand before God, in Jesus Christ, in his righteousness. Your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's the righteousness of Christ in me. Philippians 3, 9 says, and be found in him, in Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not righteousness that depends on works. Not the righteousness that depends on trying harder. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of, the righteousness of God. When I see my sinfulness, when I see how the law and all that it expects of me it's not going to get me there, it drives me to the gospel. It drives me to the work of Jesus Christ. And many people in the room today, you've already got there. You've already come to the place of understanding. It says it happens by faith. It happens by transferring your trust from who you are and what you're doing uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It moves away from I'm trying harder, I'm working more to I'm depending on the work of Christ and I'm going to stand before God not because of who I am but because of who he is. One day Paul Whittingstall will stand before God and the answer to why should I let you into my heaven as I would say is because I'm with him. But the reality of that is because My sin was placed on Christ, and Christ's righteousness was placed on me, and that's the only reason we can stand before God. So, if you think you're getting there based on what a good person you are, or what you've accomplished, God will look you in the eye, and he's gonna say, sorry, I don't know who you are. Your righteousness does not surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The righteousness of Christ is not in you. As followers of Jesus Christ, that should that should revolutionize our thinking, our actions, our desires, Christ on the throne. And if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the good works you can muster up, all of the good things you can do, at best they'll make you look like a scribe or a Pharisee, but they'll never get you to the place where there's a fulfillment of the work because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And the amazing thing is, Jesus Christ offers to take all of the garbage sin in my life on himself. And he offers to me all of his righteousness and all I have to do is believe. It's a gift. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the day to trust, receive the gift for what Christ has done and what he's accomplished for you. Well, self-righteousness falls short. Saving righteousness brings eternal life for us. Sanctifying righteousness leads to fruit and reward. Sanctifying righteousness. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's The picture of what Christ did for our salvation. That we might die to sin and live, what? Live to righteousness. That's the goal of every believer. For those who think, well, I got Jesus in my heart, now I just do whatever I want. That's a really good indicator you don't really understand the gospel. It's just talking about living to righteousness. Not living for salvation, but living because of Salvation. Living because of what Christ has accomplished for you. It's righteousness imputed to us, which is now lived out in our lives. When you understand my sin was placed on Christ and his righteousness is placed on me, then my desire is to live that out for the glory of God. A couple of years ago, we studied Psalm 23. We took the whole summer to go through that psalm. And in Psalm 23, verse 3, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. There's only one way to God, and that's through Christ. But in Christ, there are all kinds of paths of righteousness. There are all kinds of things. Every one of us is on a different road today, not to salvation. There's only one road to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But we're all going through different kinds of things. We're all in different walks in our lives. God is working in us in all kinds of different ways. We're all on different paths of righteousness, and so what does your path of righteousness look like? The circumstances you're going through with a health situation are different than the person who's going through a, I'm going to have a baby or different from the person who's, I, I, I just lost my job or, or person I've got some challenges in whatever it is and all of these, God leads us and directs us but in them we are to be righteous. We are to honor God. We are to put him first. So when Jesus said I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it And your righteousness needs to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which is done because of the finished work of Christ, but it's lived out by us every day. And we get messed up in our paths of righteousness when we ignore God's word. You know, people sometimes come to me and they say, you know, God's not speaking to me very much right now. And I'm suggesting to them that the reason is because you're not in his word. You open it when you come to church. You might open it for a small group, but, but you're, not, you're not trying to devour it. You're not trying to take it in. There are times when God seems a long way off and we need to do the right things. And, but often our paths of righteousness are affected because we're not in the Word or, or we're sinning in some way. We're violating our conscience or we're violating what God's Word clearly says. Um, sometimes we do because we go against the advice of other believers. we feeding on the wrong things. We're going after wrong goals. We follow ungodly friends, and, and, and the, the Lord's calling us to paths of righteousness. And maybe as I went through that list, I mentioned friends, or I mentioned goals, or I mentioned you're like, please, pastor, don't go down that path today. I don't think I can hear you say that one more time because you're not walking in paths of righteousness. God is glorified when people see you and me behaving righteously. They see us with God as the priority, God first. They seek us walking in humility. Um, humility is where it all begins. It's a right view of yourself in light of who God is. It's not wanting what I want, it's wanting what God wants. And in uh, 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, "'Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, "'so that at the proper time he may exalt you.'" So often, I, you, we get caught up in the, "'No, I think I know the best way for this to work out, "'and so I'll help the Lord along the way with it.'" Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in his time, his time, he will exalt you. Putting God on the throne, putting him first, walking in humility. How about this word, submission? Here's a two-word definition for submission. Active humility. Submission is active humility. It's willingly coming under. God is glorified when he sees His people behaving righteously, and that shows in bearing fruit, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of evangelism. God is glorified when people see you and me behaving righteously and living in purity and not falling in sin, not choosing what we want over what God would have for us. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death. It doesn't say just kind of put it in the cupboard or put it aside for a little while. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. God is glorified when people see you and me behaving righteously in our surrender, willingly coming under what God has put in place for us. All of that for our good, ultimately for his glory. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, that's, that is the act of righteousness. That is the sanctifying righteousness. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, so what? So what? Hey, church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the truth about what Christ was calling them to in character and the truth of what Christ was calling them to in the imperatives, be salt and be light, is now explained and fulfilled for them in the work that Christ has done in not abolishing the law but fulfilling the law. And when you understand what Christ has accomplished for you, it will make you live differently. And if you're here today and you've put your hope in what you think you're going to accomplish, you're going to accomplish nothing, not for eternity, and you face the day when you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, sorry, I don't even know who you are. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Because Christ fulfilled the law, we no longer live under the condemnation of the law, but we live in the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Father, for the way that it guides and directs, how it strengthens us, how it encourages us. Lord, as we think about the working of Jesus Christ and, and the reality that, as he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I'm not coming to destroy what was there. It had its purpose. It was right. It was setting the path. He says, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to, to make the reality of all that it was pointing to make sense. And Father, as followers of Jesus Christ, Christ came. Christ came. He lived the perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice so I could have eternal life. That stir my heart. Where I sin and where I fall short of understanding and where I sin and fall short and and set aside that perfect sacrifice because I want what I want. Bring me to conviction, God. Bring me to conviction. Bring me to change. Do that in our church. Do that in our lives. And God, for the person who's here who's never trusted Christ, this gift, this gift is free, and it's available. Believe, and you will be saved. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all he accomplished for us. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.